Boy, leave it to God, right? We throw a little Christmas party for Jesus and look what happens. Go God. Go God. So it's Christmas. It's Merry Christmas. It means a whole lot of different things to a whole lot of different people. Our world has kind of grabbed on to Christmas and done its own thing with it. But when you hear those two words, when you hear Merry Christmas, what's the first thought that hits your mind? Honestly, I mean, I know the right answer is Jesus, right? But what's the first thing you really think? Ah, I get some time off from work. Ah, the kids are going to be home for almost two weeks. i got to clean the house. Who's hosting this year anyway? we got a budget. Maybe you get worried about shopping and the lines and the stress of all that. Maybe you know that there's going to be returns and you really hate those lines. Maybe you like all the baking and the cookies and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you're somebody who loves decorating trees and, and the house for Christmas. When I, when I say Merry Christmas, what's the first thing you think of? Because the truth is everybody's got a different answer, really. It, it's got so much to do with where we were raised and who raised us and, and, and how it is that we've gone down this road of life. Merry Christmas means so many different things. Do you maybe think of it as the opportunity to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Because that's what you're all here for. That, that's what we're here to talk about. That's what we're here to do. When I think of Christmas, I suppose it's partly a, a, a professional responsibility, if I'm going to be completely honest. When I think of Christmas, I think of the baby Jesus. I think of that first Christmas. I think back 2,000 years ago. What must that have been like? What must it have been like for Mary and Joseph that first Christmas? The year that God arrived on earth as one of us. The Creator of the universe, His only Son, comes to earth to be born as a human baby. That was the first Christmas. I think of Mary, the young mother, a single woman whose world was turned upside down by the arrival of an angel who comes to her and says, Mary, God has found favor with you and you're going to give birth to a son. And she says, but how is that possible? I'm a virgin. I can't give birth to a son. And she says, you're going to. It's going to be the Son of God. And Mary's world has turned completely upside down. I think of the angel chorus that announces the birth from the heavens, the wise men, their extravagant gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know the thing that I don't always think about? It's Joseph. I don't always think about Joseph. He doesn't make a real prominent part of the Christmas story for most of us. And yet, the man who was engaged to be married to Mary and would become the earthly father of the baby Jesus... And yet, his blood did not flow through Jesus' veins. What of that man? What must that first Christmas have been like for him? Truth is, I think just about everything, at least the first time he encountered that first Christmas, worked against uh, Joseph. Everything. Because it all worked contrary to the culture that they lived in. Everything about that first Christmas, as far as the world around them would have said, was wrong. But you know what Joseph found out? was that God knew exactly what He was doing, even if Joseph didn't understand it. So let's go back to that first Christmas and go back to the passage that was read a little while ago. Let's take a look at it and work our way through it. And one of the things you're going to realize is God does what God does so well all the time. He uses the most unexpected people to carry out His purposes. Luke 2, starting in the first verse. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. What's going on? 2,000 years ago, governments wanted your name on file so that you could pay your taxes. You wanted to know how many people he conquered and how big his territory was, how many were under his authority. The other thing that that passage does is it gives us a time stamp in history of the birth of Jesus. The Bible doesn't just say, yeah, Jesus was born. The Bible says when Jesus was born, along with the reign of two men that everybody knew about. Verse 3, And they went to be registered each to his hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Stop for a moment and take a look at Joseph from this standpoint. From his perspective, this is no small task. When the Bible says they went up to Bethlehem, they they had ultimately about a 3,500-foot climb in the middle of the desert. On foot, about 90 miles they had to walk. Government didn't care. They just wanted them there because that's where their records were. The whole journey would be done on foot. For Joseph, the whole thing began one day when Mary, who probably wasn't nearly as old as Joseph was, and when they were engaged, it's really like a marriage today. It's just about a year of time where you are, you are pledged to each other and you're essentially married, but you don't live together and you don't have relations together. You just are pledged and you begin your life that way. She came up to him one day and she must have said something like, uh, Hey, Joe, i got to talk to you about something. And he says, yes, Mary. And she said, I, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying here. And, and trust me, I'm telling you the truth, but I'm going to have a baby. And Joseph's got to be thinking, I hope we do. And she says, well, Joe, it's not yours. It, it's actually going to be the Son of God's. I, I'm, I'm going to give birth to the Son of God. An angel came and talked to me and, and told me everything that's going on. And I hope you're okay with that, Joe. Because I, I told the angel I was okay with it. So it, it's going to happen. And top it off, Joseph finds out he's got to take this woman who soon is going to be showing to the world around him that she is going to have a child back to his hometown. Back to the place he grew up in. His ancestors, family, relatives, cousin, whole lot of other people that were going to talk and they weren't going to talk nicely about him because he had done what no good guy ever does. The Bible says that he wanted to do the very best that he could for Mary. He wanted, he wanted to take care of her without shaming her. None of this situation looked good for Joseph at all. And, a, and an angel comes to him and he says, Joseph, everything that Mary has told you is true. She's not making it up. There isn't someone else in the picture, Joseph. She's, she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And somehow or another, Joseph wraps his head around it just enough that in faith he says, okay. He realizes there's nothing about his name or his reputation or what people say about him that matters nearly as much as his beloved Mary and this child that the angel says that she's carrying. And so he journeys with her up to Bethlehem to face this firestorm of ridicule. Verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. 
the situation wasn't tough enough, they finally get to the end of this seven, eight, nine, ten year journey where his wife is all the way ready to have this child. That was not an easy trip for her. All they're looking for is a place to kick up their heels and relax. They find out there's no room anywhere. All he wanted was a place for his wife to deliver her child. What about Mary? What about what she wanted? She probably wasn't asking for very much, but i got to believe this young single mother wanted, as, as every mom does, is a, a nice, clean place for her firstborn child. She wanted a warm home, a safe place. She wanted a place where she didn't have to worry about stuff and people and dirt and grime. What she got was a cave on the outside of town because every other room, every nook and cranny was full of all the travelers coming to get themselves registered for the census so they could pay taxes too. What she got was not what she wanted in terms of the location. She got a newborn that could only be wrapped in what was available, the the swaddling claws that the shepherds used when special lambs were born. Very special lambs. She was no doubt ready for the trip, and she no doubt knew that it was going to be time for her to give birth to this child, but they didn't even have a place to stay. How much could they have carried? How ready could she have been? And so she used what was available, these claws that shepherds wrapped lambs in. So Mary's firstborn child wasn't even laid in a crib. It was a manger, a feeding trough for the sheep. And we make them out of wood, and they look really neat, and we put blankets in them and straw. But in reality, because we just saw them about a month ago, what it really was is a cave with a niche cut in the stone where the food went in. It was stone. That was what she had for a crib for her firstborn. Wrapped them in claws that weren't even her own. It's a little more than a stone shelf carved into the wall of the cave. And when you read ahead a little bit, the rest of this passage going through verse 20 makes a lot more sense. Because when you read ahead, you find out that in 33 short years, her son is going to once again end up in a borrowed cave wrapped in claws that wasn't, weren't his own. And his body was going to be laid in a tomb after he'd given himself to be the perfect sacrifice for the sin of everybody who would believe in him. Turns out the end of his life here on earth looked an awful lot like the beginning of his life. Verse 8, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is the part where you can clap and cheer. But you don't have to, of course. For unto you, because we don't do that stuff, right? <clears throat> We're Scandinavian, please. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And in that sentence, that angel announces our hope. That sentence, whether you knew it or not, that angel announced why we're here, our eternal hope. That sentence is why we celebrate, why we celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus. The only way that our sins are ever going to be able to be forgiven. Our sin and Jesus' forgiveness are at the very heart of the Christmas story. People don't like to be told they're sinners, but we like to know that there's hope. It's why it's important that we realize that the cave and the cutout for the manger 
looked an awful lot like the cave and the niche that he was buried in 33 years later. He wasn't born just to be a cute baby. He was born to pay for the sins of everyone who would believe in Him. Verse 12, And this will be a sign for you, the angel said. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Shepherds? Seriously? If you have read anything in the New Testament at all, you know that shepherds were the outcasts of society. They were the ones that everybody walked across town to avoid. You know why? Because they lived with sheep and they slept in caves and they smelled like sweaty guys who never showered who lived with sheep and slept in caves. And people stayed away from as far as they could. They were the outcasts. They live in the wild. And yet they weren't ordinary shepherds. These were the shepherds who raised and cared for the temple flock of sheep. Now that might not seem like a very big deal to you, and I understand that, so we're going to take a moment so we really get a grasp for what happened that first Christmas. See, these guys were specially trained by the priests in Jerusalem to recognize and to separate out at birth those lambs that were spotless and without blemish and who were deemed to be perfect. The lambs that as soon as they were born, these shepherds knew everything to look for, what they wanted and what they didn't. And the moment these lambs were born, they scooped them up before they ever had a chance to get dirty or even stand up. And you know what they did? They wrapped them in, are you ready for it? Swaddling cloths. And they set them aside so they couldn't hurt themselves or any other, anybody else or get dirty. See, these shepherds, there's a reason that the angels went to them because they knew what the angels were saying. They understood the importance of this child the way that others wouldn't. They knew his purpose. He knew, they knew that he'd been set apart at birth. They knew that this human lamb had been born to be a sacrifice, to be the sacrifice for the forgiveness of human sin. They understood that. They didn't have to have it explained to them. It was their business. They got it. Do you? Do you understand that's what we're really celebrating tonight? It's not just a cute little baby in a manger. It's a baby born in a manger who came for one single purpose. That was you. Verse 15, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over there to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I love that quote because it kind of is different than everything else in the Bible. And when I read it, what I read is these guys looking at each other going, did you just see what I just saw? Let's go check it out. Because if it really is what that angel said it was, this is big. And so they went and they found exactly what the angel was talking about. A single mom with an incredibly courageous man who would welcome this child that wasn't his own in love and raise him as his own, all tucked away by themselves in a cave that the shepherds knew well, with the baby lying in the one place the shepherds truly understood, wrapped in a way that the shepherds had been trained to wrap the baby lambs. They got it. And it was all exactly like the angels had said. The first crib for Christ, our Savior, Jesus, was a hole carved in the wall of a cave. Verse 17, when they saw it, 
They made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. See, the shepherds weren't very reliable witnesses. Remember, people stayed away from them. I think folks probably thought maybe they were a little bit crazy. Who else would do that job? And that they couldn't help but talk about it. They couldn't help but go tell everybody who would listen, and even the people who wouldn't. Even as people ignored them and stepped aside when they came near, they did their part. They announced the birth of the Christ child, the Savior of the world. They went and told everybody that they could tell. Christ is a Greek word, and it means the chosen or the anointed one. The shepherds understood what this one had been chosen for. This tiny baby, God's own son, was the chosen one to die for the forgiveness of of the sins of all of the people in the world who had put their faith and hope and trust in Him. And the shepherds got it. Their job was to provide those lambs. They knew one when they saw one. And when they laid eyes on Jesus, they knew what they were looking at. But Mary, Mom treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told of them. Mary took some time away from everything and just thought about it. Can't imagine what was going through her mind. So I took some time this week and I thought about it. And I thought, what does Christmas really mean to us? Most of us don't know what the shepherds did that first Christmas because no one's ever told us. We don't know because we we don't have time. We don't take time to, to pour through the Bible to understand all of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And so there now you have a little bit of it. So what have we done with Christmas in America? See, it's a, it's a cultural clash in this country. Because the baby Jesus represents God's culture, His kingdom breaking through for us, but we've created our own culture at Christmas, haven't we? Peggy, picture please. Does that one strike you as odd at all? Which one of those means Christmas more to you? Which one of those is what hits your mind when you hear Merry Christmas? Which one of those is the images that you see first? You know why I think that's such an incredible picture? Because what it does is with two people, it pulls together the two Christmases that we work so hard to keep separate. We don't want the person on the left crashing into the Christmas that the person on the right represents. Jesus came to earth so that the King of all creation might live with His people. And yet His people say, you know what, we'd rather do Christmas our way. A world tells us that people die for their King. God's kingdom sent a King who died for His people. And you know what we did? We replaced Him with Santa Claus. How's that for some truth? Philippians 2, 9, 10, 11 says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted Him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What that means is that one day every knee will bow, yours, mine, and everyone else's, every politician, every athlete, every celebrity, everyone who insists that God isn't real. Every single person will bow, even Santa Claus, if... I'll let you take care of that one, right? Philippians promises that one day every knee will bow to the baby that was born in that manger. Hebrews 6.19 says it this way. We have this hope 
as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. One of the traditions we've got around here is we give out ornaments every year for everyone for a family to take home as a Christmas tree. This year it's an, it's an anchor because that baby is the hope. He's the anchor for our soul, the only thing in this life that is sure, that is certain, that is truly steadfast is the truth of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. It doesn't matter how life shakes you to your core. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how badly things come unglued or how badly you sin and mess up your one shot at life. We have a hope in Jesus that is unshakable. Because of Jesus, through the worst of life and even through death, if you believe in Him, you have a hope that cannot be taken away from you. That was the statement made that first night with that baby in the manger. See, the real Christmas is a countercultural celebration. And it's a countercultural celebration because it isn't about the gifts and the presents that we give and receive with each other. It isn't about parties or cookies or even Santa Claus. The very real heart of Christmas is the gift that God gives every one of us, every person, all humankind, in the person of His Son, Jesus that came that first Christmas so long ago. You know, the only thing you have to do is choose to accept it. And the example that we've used forever is as simple as this. Why in the world would you someone offer you the greatest gift that you could ever hope to receive and you leave it under the tree and not open it? And yet thousands and tens of thousands and millions of people do that with the gift of Jesus. They leave it unopened. They don't want it. They don't accept it. The free gift of hope that is Jesus. The only gift that comes with the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So it strikes me that for all the people who celebrate Christmas without Christ, with no Jesus, they got no hope. And, and, and really what they're doing, all that they're really doing is celebrating themselves. And isn't that what birthdays are for? Isn't birthdays what we use to celebrate us and each other? See, there you go again. We're right back to the beginning. Happy birthday, Jesus. That's why we're here. So go ahead, say it with me. Happy birthday, Jesus. Because that's what Merry Christmas really means. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank You for the gift of Your Son, Your only Son, Jesus. Thank You, God, that You sent Him to earth to be born in a place that none of us in all reality could even imagine. No mother would ever want her child born where your son was born. And yet, God, he was raised by Mary and Joseph, and he became a man, and he chose to go to his death. He chose to go to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And as soon as that was over, as soon as he was dead, he went back to a borrowed cave, wrapped in somebody else's cloths, But He didn't stay there, God. You raised Him from the dead to new life so that we have the hope of new life in You as well. Thank You, God, that as we celebrate Jesus and His birth today, we're celebrating hope. We're celebrating the anchor to our soul. And so, God, my prayer would simply be this, that for everyone who doesn't know Him personally, God, that You would become so real to them. Use what You have to use. Do what You have to do. Put whoever in their life You need to put in their life. God, whether you bless them beyond measure or break them to zero, whatever you have to do, God, help them to come to see and to know Jesus as their Savior as well. 
It's in his name that we pray. Amen.